0: Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at discipleship, what it means to be called by God and what it means to follow God. And so we've been looking at people from the Bible who did that. We started with Andrew, Peter, John, then Martha and Mary. And last week, we looked at um, Matthew, the tax collector, So this week, we're going to look at John the Baptist and a bit of a crisis of faith that he had. But before I start looking at John, I want to remind you of a story that I think you have probably all heard before. It's a story of a man who had two sons, and one son was always looking on the gloomy side of things, and the other son was always looking on the rosy side of things. And so the father thought that he needed to balance them out. So when it came to Christmas time, he filled one room full of lovely toys that a little boy would love. He filled the other room with horse manure. Yes, I've said that in church, (laughs) horse manure. So the little boy who tended to be gloomy, he sent to the room with all the toys. Now, when the boy opened the door, He saw all the lovely toys there and he started to cry. And the father was a bit bewildered by this and so he said to his son, what's the matter? These are beautiful toys. And the son said, well, in a few days my, my friends are going to have taken them from me or they're all going to be broken. The room with all the horse manure The father sent the son, who tended to be rosy about things. So the little boy opened the door, saw all the horse manure, and shrieked with joy. He was so excited. And he went in there and he started to shovel. And the father said, what's going on? And the little boy said, with all this poop around, there must be a pony somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. The expectations of the boys affected the way they dealt with what their father had given them. And that can happen to us as well. And it happened to John the Baptist. So to look at John the Baptist, we really need to start with looking at his mum and dad, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order of priests was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd outside stood praying. So Zechariah is in the sanctuary by himself, and outside there's a whole lot of people worshipping God. Verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear, as you would be, when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. Now, John is a Hebrew name, which means God is gracious. So there's nothing unusual about that. But it was the custom of the day that you named your children after your great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents to keep the sort of family line going. So for this baby, who is yet to be conceived, to be named John, this was something special, something a little bit different. Verse 14. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth... he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And Luke tells the story of John being filled with the Holy Spirit later on in the Gospel when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Now Mary is pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth is pregnant with John. When When Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and John in the womb jumps. That is when John was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reference to not drinking wine is about being separated as a prophet. So there was um, a type of vow you could take as a Nazarite in the Old Testament and a man or woman could take that And it was a voluntary vow where you dedicated yourself to the Lord for a certain period of time and you weren't allowed to eat anything made from grapes, which included wine. You let your hair grow and you separated yourself from other people. It was a sign that you were dedicating yourself to God for a purpose. Verse 16. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And you probably remember that story when Jesus was on the mountain and he was transfigured, when the glory of the Lord (coughs) shone out of Jesus. It was Moses and Elijah who appeared there as well. So to say that this child who is yet to be conceived is going to be like Elijah is an incredible prophecy to speak over someone. Verse 17, continuing, he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts to the fathers. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now this is a prophecy spoken over John before he is even conceived and I imagine as a little boy he would have been told these stories and possibly felt a bit of pressure to live up to such an incredible prophecy but it did come to pass and the story of John the Baptist is told in all of the Gospels and I'm going to read from the one from Matthew 3. Verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Verse 4. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. So this passage is pointing out that John fulfilled or is fulfilling the prophecy given to Zechariah. He was living in the wilderness outside of Jerusalem and he was living a life that was totally dedicated to God. Verse 5. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So this is John's ministry. He's bringing people back to honoring God, just as the angel had said to Zechariah. And John would also tell people that they needed to live righteously, not to cheat, not to lie. Verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptise... Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the leaders of the Jewish people at the time. And they were instructed by God to teach people about the love and grace and mercy of God. But they'd become legalistic. They'd become focused on the rituals and they'd lost some of the sense of the mercy and grace of God. And so John is pretty straight with them. He denounces them. And he says to them, You brood of snakes, who wanted you to flee God's wrath? Who warned you to flee God's wrath? Prove by the way you live, verse 8, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, We're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Verse 10. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sow the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut, chopped down, and thrown into the fire. So this is very bold and very brave of John. He's confronting the religious leaders of the day. And (laughs) they thought that they were right with God. They thought they knew the Old Testament. They thought they were obeying the law. They thought that they were okay. But John calls them out on their sin, and he does it in front of a crowd. He doesn't hold back. He says, basically, you brood of vipers. It's pretty. I'm sure no one spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees like John did. He was very direct. He didn't muck around with God's word. Verse 11. He says, "I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." Of course, John is talking about Jesus. And the Gospel of John tells us about the time that John saw Jesus. It's as in John 1, verse 29. John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognise him as Messiah, but I have been baptising with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. 32. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptise with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Now this passage is really important to understanding how John came to recognise Jesus as the Messiah. So God had spoken to John and told him that it would be the one who the Holy Spirit descended upon and rested upon. And then John saw this happen. So it was God's word to John. And then the experience of seeing it happen and come into into being that convinced John that Jesus was the Messiah. So when we look at all these passages, we can see that John was committed to God. He was in the wilderness, far away from the corruption of Jerusalem. He was preaching boldly. People were coming to him from far and wide. He was bold, he was brave, he heard from God, he saw uh, an incredible experience of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, and he testified that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So you would think, with all of these things that John was committed to and doing and seeing, that he would never have a crisis of faith. You would think of all the people who you might look across and see how they're living their lives and and what they're doing. Well, John the Baptist, he's solid. He's never going to have any doubts. But it's not the case. John's expectations of of what the Messiah would do didn't seem to align with what he saw Jesus doing. And John was so passionate about calling out sin that he didn't just confine himself to the religious leaders of the day, he also also took aim at the governing bodies and he called out the sin of Herod. Now Herod was appointed by the Romans who were ruling the, the Israel area at the time because Herod had been involved in wife swapping. And so John called him out on it and it was because of that that John was arrested put in prison, and eventually killed. Now, we don't know how long John was in prison, but it must have been long enough for him to begin to have doubts about whether or not Jesus really was the Messiah. And Matthew's Gospel has this account. Chapter 11, verse 2. John the Baptist who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Remember the powerful word that God had given him. Remember the experience that he had of seeing the Holy Spirit rest on Jesus, and yet in prison he starts to doubt himself. He starts to wonder, did I get it wrong? Did I make a mistake? Have I messed up? And Jesus answers him in verse 4. Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And Jesus is quoting there from two passages of scripture. Isaiah 35, which says, And when he comes, the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. And Isaiah 61, which says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So Jesus answers with two aspects. He points to what's happening. He points to the experience of people, to the healings, to the preaching, to what he's doing. But he also points to scripture. He uses passages in the Bible to show that he is the Messiah. And I think this is a beautiful encouragement for us, for how John deals with a crisis of faith. Because firstly, John, he recognised that he had doubts. He didn't just try to be a good Christian and push them down and not worry about the fact that he was concerned about things. He faced them. And then he shared his concerns with other followers. He shared his concerns with his friends, people who would understand, people who could support him. And he didn't just ask for help in his thinking or his physical needs. He asked them to go to Jesus, to go to the source. And Jesus' answer is just full of so much compassion and love and scripture. So if John the Baptist can have a crisis of faith, then I think we can all be in the same situation. Maybe... You've already had a crisis of faith in your life and you've overcome. You've come through. Maybe you're going through one now or maybe your crisis of faith is yet to come. But here we have a good example from the Bible as the disciple of Jesus of how to deal with that crisis of faith. Because John, who seemed to be the perfect Christian, doing everything right, he expected Jesus to take control in Galilee. He expected Jesus to become the ruler in that place and that all the ends of the earth would then bow down to Jesus as king. Now he had that expectation based upon what he understood was in the Old Testament and many other religious leaders of the day understood it to be the same, that when the Messiah would come he would set up his kingdom on earth as king physically. But what John and many others of the time didn't realise was that the Bible also speaks about how the Messiah has to suffer. And there are passages in Isaiah and Psalms that clearly talk about the suffering of the Messiah, about the fact that he's the Lamb of God, that he must die for the sin of the world, so he must be broken for the sin of the world. But they were not clear to John at the time. Now. We know those scriptures because we look in hindsight and we see them clearly. And we also know that Jesus will return and create a kingdom here on earth, a kingdom where every knee will bow to him, when everyone will confess that he is Lord and Saviour. But John, he missed the step in between. He missed the need for the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the same can be true for us today. We can miss a step. You know, maybe you've been praying for somebody for a very long time or a situation to change for a long time and you just don't see any change. In fact, sometimes when I'm praying for something, I feel like it even gets worse. You know, maybe you're struggling with something in your own life, a healing, and you're asking God, you know, please bring this about or please please heal me, and it's not happening. And you wonder why. And I think it's because sometimes we can miss a step. God is doing something that we don't necessarily see. So when we're going through tough times and we begin to doubt, We need just to remember that we're in good company because John the Baptist had a crisis of faith. So we need to do what he did. Recognise your doubts. Share with your friends. Pray to Jesus. And read the Bible. Because we need to remember that our expectations don't always align with what God is doing. That we can misunderstand things. That that we're fallible, that we make mistakes. But our God is not. God is faithful and just. He's full of mercy, full of compassion. And he's slow to anger. And it is his heart that we know his ways. So I want to leave you with some encouragement from passages in the Bible. I'm going to read them out and then I'll pray. And and we'll just sit and let the words soak into us. And maybe, Caleb, you can play quietly while I do that. (laughs) Okay, the first one is... Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Lord God, help those words to be true in our lives. Help us, Lord God, to trust you with all our heart, and give us the discernment to know the way you want us to go lord help us to lay down any paths that we want to take and follow you instead Isaiah 41:10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you; don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Father in heaven, help us not to be afraid of anything that we face. Help us not to be discouraged, Lord God when things are not going the way we expect, Lord God, we ask for you to align our expectations to yours and to know the strength that you give us in trusting you. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 to 30 says Jesus speaking come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus, help us to lay down the burdens that you do not want us to carry. Help us to be yoked by you and be directed only by you. And lastly, John 14, 26 to 27. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Lord God, help us to be aware of the peace that you give us. Help us to run to you in our times of need. Forgive us, Lord, if we've missed a step, if our expectations are not aligned with yours. And give us the insight to see you working in all circumstances and to trust you for all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.